I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. As a mom, vegan of 20 years, and entrepreneur, I need a lot of energy. And I turn to Athletic Greens to help me out. Athletic Greens is part of the daily nutrition regimen for thousands of top performers, professional athletes, and health-conscious go-getters worldwide, including USA cycling and endurance athletes. So I knew I would trust them. It's developed from a complex blend of 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients. And it's a comprehensive all-in-one greens powder engineered to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet and support your body's nutritional needs across the four pillars of health, gut health, immune system, energy, and recovery. And these are all things that I'm super interested in. I put a scoop in my smoothie in the morning, and it feels amazing to know that I'm set up to feel my best and sustain my energy all day long. Try for yourself at athleticgreens.com slash yoga. That's athleticgreens.com slash lit yoga and get lit up. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today I have a friend, Rohini Maradi, on here. She is amazing, really, truly a magician. Uh, She's a certified Reiki practitioner, a yoga and spiritual teacher, a healer, and the creator of the Magic Inclined community. Today, we talk about her journey into this space she's in now as a Magic Inclined facilitator and all the many steps along the way, including the grief of losing her daughter. Please join me and enjoy our conversation today. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today, I have a new friend, Rohini. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's my honor to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to have you. And I've, I've loved reading all about your work and your life. And I'd like to start off by asking, um, you've developed a brand called Magic Inclined. So can you tell us how you define magic? Yeah, of course. I mean, really, I feel that energy is magic. So it can be defined on many different levels and elements. That's my best definition for it, actually. (laughs) I like that. And so when you speak of energy, just because for the broader audience, what specifically are you talking about that makes one have a more magical feeling in energy than another? Well, I think that this is very relative to the person, but in my experience, it's the difference of gratitude in everyday life that brings in more magic. For me, I think the practice of gratitude is what kind of opens the door to more magic or energy, whatever it may be. 
I love that. Um, so speaking of life, can you can you tell us a bit about your childhood and and what you might have let go of from your childhood or what you carried with you to this evolution in your current state? Yeah, absolutely. So my childhood, I feel like I have a very unique situation and there's only my sister who's experienced it in this whole world, but we grew up in the only Hindu temple in Tehran. My father was the Pujari and we, we lived through the Muslim revolution, which was really wild. Just being anything but Muslim was terrifying at that time. I mean, it still is actually. So not only the revolution was going on, but we also lived through the Iran-Iraq war. So the backdrop of most of our childhood was bombs going off, people screaming in the streets. There's like buildings in rubbles all the time. It was really terrifying. And we lived in the big city. We lived in Tehran. So it's not like we were in a small village or anything. It was just, um, you could see it everywhere. And I feel one of the biggest things that I carried with myself as a child during this time was fear of being alive and throughout my life and experiencing all that life throws at us. I feel I've let that go little by little. And it's those experiences that that have allowed me to like actually be able to step in myself and not carry fear with me. That's why I do all the weird things that I do. (laughs) That's very powerful. And, you know, honestly, you are, you do have a unique situation because a lot of people, we operate from fear or love, it's said, right? So, Mm -hmm. but fear is often perceived threat. And that's, that isn't to say it's not felt similarly, but you actually had real, true reason to be fearful. You know, it wasn't just anxiety, um, fear of what might happen. It was like daily, probably moments of real terror. How did your father as this unique individual, how did he navigate that? And what, what lessons did he impart to you too? <laughs> I mean, that's such a good question. My heart's just like swelling thinking about it. My, I love my dad so much. I'm going to cry. But um, he growing up had a lot of love in his heart, like a lot. And anytime we were feeling fearful, I remember this one vivid experience of bombs going off at nighttime, which is when it usually happened. And you look out the window and you see them falling and you don't know where they're going to fall. I remember asking my mom, are one of those going to fall on us? And she said, we don't know. We don't know. I'm like, is there anything we could do? And they're like, not really. We can't really do anything. So my dad would do is we would chant, like we would dance around in the living room and just like jump around and chant. I remember uh, my sister's face was like completely like white, like all her color had just dropped And once she started dancing and chanting and seeing my dad have fun and my mom have fun, like the color came back and I watched it happen. And I realized how important just being in the present moment is. And at the time, I didn't know how to define it in that way. You know, like I'm not like (laughs) I didn't understand what the present moment was, because I feel like as children, we are constantly living in the present moment. You know, we're not going and thinking about what we did yesterday and how that bothered us about what we said or what the future holds. But it was in that moment, the risk of death, but being happy with what we have. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, I can't even imagine as a parent 
Like our biggest job is to kind of shield our, our kids. And yet what your parents did was the best thing, which is acknowledging the reality to not, I mean, you couldn't really deny it, but to, to not sugarcoat it, but to instead say, well, we're alive, essentially saying we're alive now. So let's celebrate that. We don't know what's going to happen. And by doing that, I, I think that must have built such a, I mean, obviously a clear resilience for your spirit to um, know in future lights where you have been challenged, I know, that that you had this base foundation of there are many things that we don't know truly, but what we do know is we have this moment, we have this present moment. And while we can't do it all the time, why don't we celebrate the present moment that we're in? So I think the roots of, it sounds like the roots of all of your work came from this, this childhood while it was traumatic, I'm sure, in so many ways, to have parents who guided you to um, celebrate despite bombs going off. Wow, what a gift. What yeah. a gift. And, and I'd really like to add to what you said because you're totally spot on. But I think instead of built that, building the idea, it was more about allowing the idea to be present. Because I feel like in modern society, like, we absorb a lot of information regarding what something should be or should not be. And it changes that like full essence that of being in the present moment that we are just born with, you know, it shifts it. So I think allowing it to be like, you know what, you can just be, you don't have to worry about what's going to happen. You can be here right now. And has, I'm sure that's impacted your own parenting. <sighs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So in the state of the world today, with all the unknowns and the daily onslaught of negativity and news, how, what are some parenting tips that you give? I mean, here's, here's the interesting thing is we were talking about this before recording, but um, we moved from San Francisco where we had this like safe bubble to Nevada city, which is beautiful. It's forested. We're in the trees but we're right in the middle of a serious drought and a very scary fire season. And my daughter has this horrible fear of fire. And so did my son, actually, he would always talk about it. So it's really interesting that we chose to go where fire is a part of life. And the talks that we have with her is kind of going back to the, the same formula that my parents gave me about, look what we have right now, though. Let's talk about your fear. Let's acknowledge it because that's a reality. And anywhere you live in the world, there is fear present. It's not like, maybe there is a safe place. If somebody knows, let me know. But <laughs> it's very, <laughs> it's a scary world we live in. So just knowing that we have these rich moments right now. And that's what I tell her, just be there, be right here. Don't think about what will happen to my stuffed animal because that's what she's worried about or whatnot. Aww. Like we're gonna do our best. We um, have followed all the guidelines, whatever it is, but just know that these moments can never be taken from you. Even if you leave your body, these moments are yours forever. And that's what I'm learning in the work that I do now too, is like, these energetic frequencies, these experiences that we have in the moment last for all of eternity. Energy doesn't just disappear, you know? So, mm -hmm. and it, she really understands that. Like when we first moved here, we would go outside and like the sky is smoking. She's like, oh gosh, there's fire. I'm like, I know, I know, but look, you're here. 
point out three things you see in real life right now. And I feel like that's a really good practice for parents who have kids who have like anxiety like that, or are in a situation where you need to, you need to just live in the present moment, but just taking a breath in, seeing if you recognize any smells or what you're smelling, maybe touching yourself, noticing that you're real, pointing out something in the room or in your surrounding, just to bring yourself back to your body, just to go to your first question. I know. I think that's really so important. And I think that those lessons are invaluable teaching your daughter. And, you know, I, I know from reading about you in your own adolescence, it sounded like you said you were doing what a lot of other teenagers did, which was kind of numb out to the experience of life. So can you talk through a little bit about how you went and navigated that? And what is it that you felt if you could, you know, pinpoint one thing or one moment in your life that woke you up from that feeling of wanting to numb out from the realities of the world? Well, I feel like this dance went on a lot through my adolescence, like probably from 13 to 30. (laughs) So there are many moments that I can point out, but I, I'll tell you about two or like really big ones that changed the trajectory of my life. First one was as a teenager trying to find myself and fit in someone who has moved to America from Iran doesn't speak English and doesn't look like anyone else gets made fun of a lot. So you start masking and like trying to look and act like everybody else, just so you can go about your day and not get picked on. Right. So that's what I was doing. And I picked the ultimate icon to try to replicate. And it was like Marilyn Monroe. I dyed my hair blonde. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Everybody can see you now. Right. That's not part of your uh, coloring. really funny. And I like, I give her love like that, that younger version of myself, but I well, it was survival. Was a, it sounds like a survival mechanism, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I remember my dad sitting me down and talking to me. He was like, Rohini, how many friends do you have named Rohini Marathi? And I'm like, no one, like I'm the only one I know. He's like, then be you. There's only one Rohini Marathi in the world. There's only one of you. If you're trying to be somebody else, who's going to be you? Is anyone going to find the name Rohini Marathi and try to like (laughs) imitate her? And I'm like, no, you're so right. And he gave me this beautiful book called Creative Visualization. I can't remember the author's name, but this book had like everyday like practices that you do and like it was like a interactive book. It was really cool. It was like today, just sit and breathe today. When you drink your water, you know, think about, you know, who you are, give yourself love, blah, blah. But I went through this whole book and it changed my life. Like I, it connected me to myself more and being a teenager and having that gift from my dad really helped. But then again, my twenties came, I fell (laughs) I like, I like to call it my rock star phase where I was just like, I was a whole different person at this time, went through all this stuff. I moved, I moved out on my own. I think that's what, what it really was, was like, okay, now how do I navigate being on my own? And there was one night where my husband and I and a few friends were camping and we were like all drinking all day. And by nighttime, like there was a campsite down by where we were. It was like playing really loud music, very obnoxiously. When you're camping, you don't want to hear that. And my husband and I had not at the time, we weren't 
we weren't married then, but um, we walked to the bathroom or something. We we're both carrying our wine or sangria or whatever it was. And all of a sudden, as I come out of the bathroom, cops jump out. They thought we were a part of like the loud campsite. And I think my husband and I were like in an argument or something, nothing like extravagant, just like, no, I'm going to go do this. No. Da, da, da. So they, the cops end up arresting me because they think there's like a domestic thing going on, which there wasn't. They arrest me and they take me to jail. And I spend the night in jail. My friends are just like all confused. Cause all of a sudden I disappear. And I remember my husband being like, what are you guys doing? Like nothing's happening. Blah, blah, blah. Like, what are you doing? And it's so weird because it's like, it's such a weird situation. I spent the night in jail with like some very scary people. And I'm just sitting there like, oh, please, <laughs> don't let anything happen to me. And keep calling collect, like somebody pick up. And I, this is a, at a time where we remembered people's phone numbers. So I called quite a <laughs> large number of people. And finally, I think the next day, I was still in the holding cell and they were about, they took me out to put me in the orange thing and Right before they put me in the orange thing, I'm like, I don't even know why I'm here. Can somebody tell me why I'm here? And the lady's like, well, let's look at your chart. And she's like, oh, it doesn't say why you're here. And then um, she went and talked to somebody else. And they're like, oh, we don't know why she's here. So they just let me go. Because there's like, no, like, there is no record of me being in there or that this ever happened. It is so weird. But lo and behold, my dad's outside because he's my guardian angel in this life. He had been like waiting for me. They let me go. He drives me home. And then um, about a week later, because I'm he, he even went to like the courthouse with me and all this stuff. So I'm like, I think I have to do something. I don't know. And when we went to the courthouse, there was no file on me, like nothing really weird stuff. But anyway, like he wanted to have a talk with me, you know, and sometimes these talks are really daunting and long. So I was like, oh gosh, here we go. But he ended up giving me these books again, because he's like really into books. And that ended up changing my life. And this book was called Psycho Cybernetics by Walter Maltz. And this is, this is the point where my life went from who am I? I'll try to be anybody else, but me like, and it truly stuck. And I accepted why I came to this life. And the next year I was married. My daughter Pele was on the way. I started like two businesses. Like my life seriously went from making $5 a day to owning everything that I've ever wanted, just because I decided to check in with myself, unravel the things that weren't mine and get rid of them. So those are the two points. <laughs> wow. That's a big one. That's a big one. So it was this <laughs> Tell me a little bit about this book. <laughs> this book is amazing. So I love it. I recommend it to everybody. And um, some of the comments I get are like, whoa, is this like a culty like thing or whatever? It's not. It's written by a plastic surgeon. He used to do a lot like in the 40s or 50s. And he used to do a lot of plastic surgery on people. And um, he would notice that some people would completely change after they received this surgery. And some people got worse and they wanted more and more and more. So he got really curious about why this happens. And um, he started like studying the subconscious mind and how it affects our everyday and how 
reprogramming the subconscious mind is what people are usually looking for when they're going to alter their image or whatever it is about themselves. So it's kind of like an untangling of the mind and there are really great exercises in it. And it also incorporates creative visualization, which in my belief is like really powerful stuff. Can you give an example of creative visualization? I have an idea what you're talking about, but yeah. Of course. Yeah. Creative visualization is like meditating um, visually. So like, let's say I'm having, and this is something that I studied with hypnotherapy as well. It kind of brings that in a little bit, but let's say I am stuck in life in, I want to change this pattern of mine. So I'll go, I'll picture myself going through the motions of this pattern that I don't like. And in that moment, in my mind, I'll change my reaction to that pattern. I'll visualize what I want that to be now and I'll feel it in my whole body and, and, and kind of like embody the feeling it feels like when I change this specific pattern. So it's kind of like, I guess what manifesting or whatever like is going on these days is it's about embodying a feeling and bringing it to reality, but it's a practice that has been going on for like thousands of years, like, through ancient modalities. It's well, yes, the because way. the brain, before we do anything, we we picture it, even if we don't, aren't aware of it, right? And that's what's so fascinating about behavior, about movement, about responsiveness versus reactionary is that we can, we are the captains of our ship. You know, we can like visualize first how we would want to do something differently, how we would want to do something for the first time. And it's a, be- it's a beautiful and necessary practice because it is ultimately happening anyway, but we're now controlling it by deciding what we want to happen, how we do want to respond. I think that's incredible. So along those lines, I know that you also have had some real tragedy. Can you speak a little bit about how this, like, how did you shift from having intense grief over the loss of a child? to this beautiful path that you're on now? I feel like that's everything. And in a way, it feels like my whole life prepared me for those moments. And losing a child is as painful as one can imagine. And it was, it, it was really intense. I feel like that grief split me in half and kind of forced shadow work or whatever we want to call that onto me where I was confronted with every single demon I had. And I had to, I had to decide in moments that I could not control how I'm going to react. I remember falling to the ground right when the doctor affirmed that um, she's not coming back. And I left my body. I watched myself on the ground with so much love and like, I can't even uh, like describe this feeling that I had. I was just like, Oh my gosh, I love you so much. You poor thing. And I came back and I couldn't talk. I couldn't do anything. I actually blacked out for like two weeks. I don't know what happened. I was just crying. Um, But during this time, I feel like I was constantly faced with everything I was holding in every shadow, every aspect of myself. And I kept remembering that like immense love that I saw for myself and it kept bringing me back to gratitude. Like, holy 
moly, I didn't want to swear. I didn't know if that's allowed, but holy moly, I'm still here. I'm still feeling, I'm feeling pain and it sucks. It sucks so much. There's no sugar coating it, but I'm still here. And I've been given this chance to continue to be here because I decided that I'm going to be here. Cause I remember leaving and being like, I'm going to be here, but I don't even know. Sorry. I get lost in like these emotions. So I don't even know if I'm answering your question right now. Go with but it. I, no, I love what you're saying. Yeah. Go with it. I really, yeah. I really feel like it's gratitude and yeah, it really, it really is gratitude. And I, I also, this is the part that really stops me like in my breath and like, I can't really define either, but there were bigger forces than myself that were coming to me and communicating with me. I remember the night she passed away, a friend, you know, so much friends and family came over and um, we were going to go to a hilltop and let go of a lantern and in her honor, or just call her to be like, we love you, you know, (laughs) but I walked into my closet. I turned on the light, the light exploded. I went into the bathroom, I turned on the light, the light exploded in the living room, the light exploded and it kept happening where at the time I didn't really think about it. But my friend who was with me while I was like crying and like going around the house was like shocked. It was like, why are so many lights exploding? And I didn't really register it until months later, you know, but soon after that, like a woman that I have never met. Um, started having dreams about my family and I, and all these messages kept coming to me. Like, I don't even know where I'm going with this, but I feel like there is something bigger than me that's driving me. And it really reaffirms my deep belief in surrendering in the present moment and being grateful for it. And that even if I'm not going to be okay, even if I'm in pain, everything is going to be okay. I don't know if that makes sense. It totally does. It reminds me of a friend who also lost a child. And when she was writing an email about it, because that's kind of how she had to tell people, she said, I'm not angry. I'm filled with gratitude. And I thought, wow, what a graceful thing to say when you've lost a child, like the most tragic loss that one can conceive. And I thought, well, this is painful, but she is like this. She is going to be okay because of her perspective of it. I'm, you know, I'm sure that's not an easy perspective to have. I would like to ask you, what are some really helpful ways to comfort someone in grief? Because I know that, you know, I've talked about grief before. I've had grief, not of this nature by any means, but losing my father was you know, it's a, your father sounds like my father. He was basically my guru, you know, like my, my Yoda. And people are so uncomfortable with grief because it's not talked about, like how you talked to, like you talked about with your child. Like, I don't know if we're, the fire is going to come. Like, it's not something that's comfortable for people to speak about, but it's necessary. And we also want to be able to talk about it in a way that's helpful versus kind of like, well, this person's in a better place. You know, I've seen people who write things like, I can't imagine what you're going through. And I always think that's the worst fucking thing to say. Can you not say that? Like, it's not like they don't already know that. 
That isn't helpful. That's your projection of like trying to imagine, like, right? So I do think there needs to be like this kind of like <laughs> um, etiquette handbook. What are some good things to say to people who are grieving versus what is not a good thing to say? But maybe you can I just, love that. <laughs> right? I'm like, I read these things and I'm like, why would you say something like that? That's like horrible. Ugh, it's it such so a projection much. of your own, right? And it's like to project that onto somebody who's already in incredible pain is like the absolute worst thing to do. But I know, again, the intention is not, of course, to harm. So I think it'd be great to just have this like, here's a little rule book on how to help somebody who's grieving. So what were some really helpful things that people would say or do? Well, one of the most helpful things people did, um, or a couple of my friends did, was send me books on grief which was really nice. I love books apparently. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And they do like, they do change my life often, but giving somebody a book and not saying anything sometimes is better because when somebody is hurt or I can't talk for everybody else, but for myself, you know, when I was in grief and I would hear things happen for a reason, I know you're in a lot of pain I totally understand what you're going through. Like you were saying, like these things like tear you down and you're like, everything happens for a reason. Like this is messed up to hear like, no way. So sometimes not saying anything is the best, maybe giving a book, flowers, a gift or something like that. I received like a, uh, what do you, what's that pink crystal? Why can't I remember? A a quartz? Rose quartz. Yeah. Like a heart. Yeah. I have one right here. Uh, Rose quartz. Yeah. Yeah. That was a lovely gift. If somebody needs to say something, I recommend not making it about you and you connecting with the person, but rather offering support, specifically listening something along the lines of that. Just being like, if you ever need to just talk and have someone listen, I'll be there for you. I think that's the best gift you can give someone when they're in pain is to be like, you'll be heard. I won't talk over you. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And I won't try and relate because there's no, right. I think that's so helpful. I just really think that it is like so many things in life needs a lot of fine tuning and behavioral management, you know, because we can be such a good community for each other, but we need to know what, what are the right what are the best helpful things to say or do? And like you said, a lot of times it's just having the being present, but not saying, filling up the space because you're uncomfortable with this intense grief. Yeah. Cause then that makes it about them too. You know, mm-hmm. like it just, you're projecting your uncomfort and it's like, it's not about your uncomfort right now. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, thank you for that. I think you probably will helping a lot of people. So you gave some sage advice on your Instagram. You said four powerful lessons that you've learned in 40 years. Um, The last one was to lead with your heart. The real you and your instincts are there for a reason. So what advice would you offer for someone who wasn't doing this and weren't really sure what that means to lead with the heart? I love this question. Thank you so much for asking that. It takes a lot to figure out the voice of one's heart in my my personal journey. And I feel one way to do that, you know, like when you have that feeling where you're like, I'm going to go do this thing, even though I really don't want to do it. It's like, but I should anytime, like I feel the should comes up. It's something outside of my heart. Oftentimes our heart's voice 
is so like whispering soft. It's like, hey, maybe you should just rest a little bit, you know, <laughs> or something like that. Making that whisper a little bit louder and just checking in to be like, do I really want to do this? I think the practice of even just asking yourself in the moment, how do I feel about this? Like will bring up that little tiny voice. Um, and one great way to do it really is through meditation and just sitting there and viewing your thoughts. You don't have to stop them. You don't have to do anything that's out of the ordinary or difficult, but just viewing them and being like, okay, so these are my thoughts. This isn't really even me. This is just a loop that's going around in my net, in my head based on all the subconscious cues that I've picked up unknowingly. And then once you separate yourself from that and realize the loop, then you can actually check in and see what your heart's saying about those things. I think it's like just a little practice and we all have that ability. I love that. And I think the other thing that can occur when you realize thoughts are thoughts that if we can lead with, I think joy is really connected with our heart. And I think a lot of people are unfortunately leading kind of joyless lives. You know, it's um, this kind of hamster wheel of the shoulds, like mm -hmm. I should be this corporate person. I should work from above. I should make this amount of money. I should buy this for my children. And it's, those are things that are outside of ourselves. Those are again, thoughts that have we've I digested, but are not coming from that deep well of gratitude and joy because yeah. joy is actually simple, simpler things. Right. And Absolutely. so I think if we press, sometimes we can kind of initiate that conversation with the heart by thinking like, what really brings me joy? you know, and, and yeah. it's that it's, they're, they're on the same thematic plane as what, what I'm grateful for. Cause usually it's small things, a cup of coffee that my husband brings me in the morning. Yeah. Well, I have gratitude for that, but I have tremendous fucking joy to get that coffee every morning. Yeah. And it's simpler than we think. And I think when we try, you know, it always goes, it always goes back to like the simplicity of things. We've really clouded how simple joy and listening to our heart can be by being consumed, hearing other others tell us how that should be. Absolutely. And I'm so thankful you brought up the idea of joy and simplicity in conjunction with one another, because a lot of times people, when they hear joy, they think like the chasing dopamine type of joy, where it's like these big ups, like, okay, I just got like this big thing that I wanted. And that's how I feel. I got joy. a brand new car. You know, yeah. it's like, that's cool, <laughs> but that's not, yeah, that's no, just, but then you're, we're setting our lows and highs on very extreme levels when we're doing that. So just, I love it. Like I find so much joy in drinking my cup of coffee in the morning too. Just like, Oh, this is the best. Or like so much joy when I like finish answering my emails, like something like simple, you know, like, Oh, I took a shower. Oh my God. I feel so good. Right. Now. Right. Yeah. No, I know. It's great. It's so wonderful. And, and it also in a way inspires you to take a little bit more of a pause. So you you know, you feel, you feel what it felt like to take a good shower versus like bustle around and get your clothes on and go about your day. It's like taking these small pauses that do again, help that conversation between the heart and the head, the thinking mind. Yeah. So I'm really curious about the next thing, which is your background as, and I don't know how to pronounce this, um, Akashic? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, 
Akashic, Akashic. Akashic. I don't really know what the correct pronunciation is. Oh, I love is that you're so humble. Like, I don't really know. It's like Akashic, Akashic. It's all good. Um, <laughs> yeah. So can you tell me, because I was reading about this and I was like, this is wonderfully crazy stuff, which I love um, that through these records, can you just talk about like your path into that? And for, I'm sure 99% of people listening are going to have no idea what this is. So I'd love for you to uh, really educate us a little bit about it at its, in a summary as much as possible. I'm sure everybody that works with you will find out much more, but what is this? (laughs) Um, Very good question. I like to actually refer to as the Akasha what it translates to really is it's a Sanskrit word that translates to ether. And this is a realm of energy that the Rishis in India, um, the Tibetan monks, like Buddhists, um, ancient Egyptians, Moors, Druids, like witches, whoever have been tapping into for as long as time has existed. And what this really, what the Akashic records really are, are just vibrational frequencies of occurrences that have happened in the past and present. And based on those calculations, you can kind of assume what will happen in the future, but it's a possibility of future outcomes. It's never set in stone. And one way I like to really describe it is like as ledgers. It's not about like, an attachment to like an emotion in any way, but really occurrences of vibrational frequencies. And the way these are recorded are through our thoughts, through our actions, through our feelings. And because energy doesn't die, it just, it's stored all around us. (laughs) And what we're really doing is when we're accessing the Akasha is we are um, changing the frequency of our body and matching that vibration to the Akasha and receiving information in that way. And it sounds really insane. And honestly, it took a really long time for me to accept that this is a real thing, even though I had the upbringing of meditation and yoga, like, and just these bigger worlds were a part of my upbringing, you know, but um, yeah, there's a lot of doubt. And finally, Finally, I accepted it. And it's been a really beautiful journey exploring it. It's, I hope I explained it correctly. Too. Well, so can you give a, like an example of what one of those kind of channelings would be? For instance, if you're yeah. teaching somebody how to, cause you talk about, you are helping clients along their spiritual path and, and it started with channeling messages for the clients, but you're now transitioning into teaching people how to do it for themselves and therefore empowering them. So I know it's probably hard to do in a short, you know, time frame. but how can you tell us a little bit about what that actually looks like? Yeah, of course. It's actually not hard at all. So this is like everything that I practice and I have been teaching is directly taken from the Vedas and which I really call a manual for <laughs> running our computer, like the Vedas and all its all its aspects are just ways that we can run our computer body to its optimal level, right? And one of those levels is being able to read the energy around us. So what I teach people how to do is fully ground in the present moment, really connect to the frequency of the earth, 
I teach people how to open up their upper chakra and really connect to the universe. We open our hearts and we really learn what that feels like. And we also ignite our throat chakra, which is, which is really the gateway to the Akasha, the vibrational frequency that we put out and the way we put it out is what's connecting us to this frequency. Our body like matches that. And that's pretty much what we go through. We it's, it's really a practice in opening our energy centers and knowing how to connect via our computer body. I got this. it. So I guess there's different tools for that. It, what is it like meditation or breathing? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All of it. Meditation and breathing. Um, I also, um, studied hypnotherapy. So I do like to incorporate a, like maybe some, some hypnotic essence of that. Not really, because then it's giving people a crutch, you know? Um, but in the beginning, if I want people, if they're having a tough time feeling that shift or that connection to this energetic realm, I also incorporate hypnotherapy and sound sound waves that will bring your body's frequency up to match that of the Akasha. So it sounds a tiny bit like Kundalini. Is it all like that or is it different? Well, I mean, I'm not that well versed in Kundalini, but are you talking about like the Kundalini awakening of like yes, the- Yes, exactly. well, and the Kundalini that- practices, which by the way, have a lot of varying thought on it. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a lot of use of sound, vibration, breathing, as a way, again, of kind of reprogramming yeah. our thought process, our presence, and yeah, in that changing the way we hold our energy and the way we sense yeah, our energy. Yeah, I, I would like to study more about Kundalini, um, but I, it's just a sect of yoga. Um, and so the Vedas were like the ultimate thing of yoga. So I, I feel it's very much like Kundalini or any of the limbs of yoga. I always think of the Vedas as like the old Testament of yoga. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I just, I don't, I don't know. It's like a manual. (laughs) I guess that's, I'm not familiar with the old Testament, but it's probably something like that. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. The origins. Right. And everything's built on that. And some of it is changed and whatnot. So can you talk a little bit about your brand? you know, this wonderful magic brand, Magic Inclined, and um, how you created it and and what you're doing with it and, and then then how people can find you and work with you. Thank you. Well, I, am, I feel like Magic Inclined is creating me and I don't feel like in control of it whatsoever, but I've kind of just surrendered to the path that it's taking me on. It started off as an ode to my daughter who passed away and just sharing stories about the journey after her passing, because it was really filled with magic. And I started writing little short stories and started a podcast based on that. And from there on that journey, I found the Akashic records. And now it's turned into this thing where I was doing readings and realizing, wow, if I can empower people to do their own readings, then that wave will travel much farther than me trying to like help everybody, which is not really helping when you're doing it for them, you know? Exactly. So it's, it's what it's shifted to is like, here, (laughs) let me show you how to do it. And then you can show somebody else how to do it and it can travel in that way. And ultimately the goal for it is like open hearts. You know, it's, 
what the Akashic Records did for me and I've seen do for other people is open one's heart. And my heart was broken and closed and I needed it. And I feel like a lot of people need to open their hearts and realize how connected we are and how much we are part of the same fabric. Um, so that's what I'm doing with it. You can find all the information on www.magicincline.com. And I have like a free little ebook that I put together. If anyone's interested in learning how to read their own Akashic records and it's free, um, you can download it, but yeah, that's pretty much it. I don't know where it's going to take me. I don't, I don't have any plans. I'm just, well, you're in the present moment. You're in the present moment. (laughs) I can just tell from this wonderful conversation, how open-hearted you are. And we for sure need more people like you being magicians out in the world, sharing it with others and doing it with joy. And I am so grateful for you and all that you're offering. And so we'll have this links in our show notes for sure. So everybody out there, Make sure you check out Rohini and her magic. I love it. Aww, the magician. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much. We really have, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. And thank you for sharing your journey. And you clearly are just vibrating at a higher level. I can feel it and see it. And so thank you for sharing yourself. Thank you for having me. It's been my honor and pleasure. Thank you so much. And for all of you, as always, I'm pulling for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.